One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. An Erio's original. I used to also just have a diary of like anytime I saw anybody that I thought was Indian, I would write it down in a notebook. Mm -hmm. Like Tampax commercial, Ooh. 1999. My greatest hope is somehow through this really intense and not so pleasant time, like some of the best qualities, our human qualities can emerge and we can actually like be the era we, we were meant to be. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. Hi, welcome to The Margaret Cho. I'm Margaret Cho. This is the podcast where we talk to people you know and people you should know. Today, we're talking to Mira Jacob. Yeah, coming out of the dark. I always think like it's more professional to have the headphones. Mm -hmm. Also, it's like more like talk radio. And yes. also like I'm kind of in a helicopter. <laughs> All of the things, all of the things, and also like we're in the Saturday Night Live skit of the NPR ladies. Yeah, oh yeah, right. I love that. I have to go to JFK tomorrow, and I'm already like upset about it. <laughs> Me too, I have to too, and I'm also feeling the same way. Where are you I'm, gonna go? I Tomorrow I go to Seattle. Okay. Yeah, I'm so I'm still touring right now. Then you're on the, the book tour, yeah, and so yeah, like yeah. all constant like book tours, I mean, just like any kind of tours, if you're a creative person, it is a, an exhausting undertaking. And then the first step of that is to get into the car to go to the airport. Yes. And the really funny thing that now that I've been talking with a lot of writers about this is how many people don't cover the car to the airport. Like they'll cover right. the rest of your travel, mm -hmm. but somehow that $70, mm -hmm. if you're in New York... Yeah. You know, you just have to eat it every way. So um, you're resentful and yeah. you have to go to the airport. Angry already. Mm -hmm. How many hours do you leave before? About three. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, when I'm on tour for any kind of creative project, there's an, an E.B. White book where a swan plays the trumpet. Have you? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but Did I'm excited this? about this. Okay. It's kind of like, well, it's like Charlotte's Web. Yeah. But, but it's it, with a trumpet It's with a trumpet playing, playing swan. swan. And the swan is on tour a lot. And so the swan ends up having to stay in hotels and order room service. Uh -huh. And um, so can't find anything on the room service menu to eat. So orders uh, watercress sandwiches and then says, well, I'll just take the bread out and eat the watercress. Okay. And then I, So I feel like I'm a swan that can play the trumpet on, on tour. That's amazing. Are you sure you didn't make up that book? No, no. I, I think it's real. Okay. I hope it's real. I mean, I, it's a great book. If it's not real, <laughs> you should write that book and go on yeah. tour with it. Go on tour with it. Um, so now you're going to Seattle, too, and then will you do a reading? 
I will. Yeah, I'm doing um, I'm doing a reading at a place called the Hugo House, which is kind of fun because they ask you to make new work. Mm. So instead of just reading the things that I've been reading for the mm-hmm. last eight months of mm-hmm. being on tour, I have something new. So yeah, I yeah. mean, also I, I I feel like I say that and I'm like, don't ask any, don't anyone else ask me to do that. <laughs> it's, That's a lot to ask, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's fun because. I, I had something in my brain that I was really trying to get out. Mm-hmm. So this made me sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remembered that I could write, which is, I think, what everybody forgets when they're on tour. Right. It's like when you when you write a book, and I've only done it a couple of times, so I don't think that I'm particularly like a writer or anything, but it's like when you've written a book, it's almost like it's set in stone. It is set literally in print, yeah. and it's there. And then anything that you want to do around that, it's it sort of becomes like stifled. Like I, I, I understand that feeling of like, can I add to this or can I change this or do what, I mean, do you, yeah. do you write all the time and mm-hmm. then feel like, oh, I've got to put this in a book and. It's really funny what you say, cause it is, it's a little bit like being trapped in the amber of who you used to be right, right in that kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I do, when I'm touring, it's really hard cause I feel like there's the outward facing part of me mm-hmm. that can deal with being outward facing, yeah. but that person is absolutely different than the person that is usually the person that just sits at a desk or a table or some coffee shop and just writes and draws all day long and mm-hmm. doesn't talk to other humans. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to get those people back together. Yeah. I mean, it is hard. It's hard to be an artist and then marry that artist to the business person that has to go out and sell. Totally. You know? Wildly so. So it's a very it's a very strange kind of situation where you have to uphold that artistic part who often doesn't necessarily want to be the center of attention. Yeah, and also the impetus to write the thing or create the thing is very different from the impetus to put it out into the world. Right. Right? Like there's those things are not always aligned. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when I'm writing something, the thing that's guiding me is no one's going to see this. Yeah. This is just me making sense yeah. of something I can't actually say out loud. Mm-hmm. And so then to then back that up by saying it out loud to everybody in real time is mm-hmm. just a really, it's a really weird life choice. It is a weird life choice. And like for me, the the closer to the truth that I get in my work, the more um, exposed I feel. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. then I, I get, then I do sort of like the interviews or podcasts or whatever, and I get offended that people are asking about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I broke about it in the first place. So it's a very, it's it's a very strange thing. It's like if you're actually like, for me, my nature is introverted. And very kind of like closed off, you know, and then my work is sort of a way for for me to express myself outside of that being an introvert. And then uh, having to be a performer on top of being an introvert is very strange. Yeah, absolutely. I can see why that would be weird. So when you when you read your work, it's like this thing of it it is that this like performance that you have to put up. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because I also have a strong feeling about people that don't perform their work mm-hmm. that sort of read it in a mumble um, yeah. as though it's something that they really don't want to do. I just feel like don't put anyone through that. Yeah. If you're going to read your work out loud, get good at reading it out loud. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard. I always like really admired this very 90s thing to like hate your work. I love I, I love artists mm-hmm. who hate their work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's something really like beautiful about that because they just resented and it. There's something about like, yeah, that tragic, tragic figure of like an artist who's just so hates it. And doesn't want like the Sex Pistols is sort of yes, like, totally you know, in right. that you know yeah. vein or any kind of grunge rock. Yeah, exactly, kind of I was gonna that. say I was gonna say all the grunge boys of the '90s. That was really the thing that was sort of driving them forward. There, yeah. <laughs> it was self-loathing. Yeah, and I just admired it so much. In, in um, 
uh, Janine Garofalo, who was like my idol when I, you know she was like the girl that we all wanted to oh, be yeah. like. She was such a badass. She's such a badass. But in, at the heart of it that is. was a strong sort of like very punk rock ethos of like self hatred and hatred of everything and resentment of everything. And I could never sell it. Like I could never, I could never sell it. Maybe just because I'm just too dorky. Well, also. I think you can, I think being able to do that, being able to hate yourself is the luxury of not being hated by the world at large. Right. Yes. So if you are something that the world at large would celebrate yeah. in any context, mm-hmm. then you're allowed to hate yourself. Yeah. If you're me and you hate yourself, you have a lot of other people that are willing to do that too. Right. Right. And it's, you know, for me, it comes down to race and visibility. Absolutely. You know, it's like to even, you know, think about, like when you think about a comedian, we would never think about an Asian woman. <laughs> you just never would. Right. You know, so having to kind of come up with that and and to sort of um, build on what is uh, supposed to be self-esteem or what, yeah. like, to put yourself forward to, like, want to be seen, it's it's important to have that to back it up, even though I don't always feel it. Yes. You know? I mean, I, I don't think I do either. But I do know that when I see the people that trade in self-loathing, it's usually the people that have also kind of walked through many open doors. That's true. And have never been standing outside of them kind of banging. You know? Right. It is privilege that yeah. puts you there. For sure. You know, and a privilege that is something that I would never, I, I wouldn't even know. You right. know, I wouldn't even know. I remember being probably five or six years old and uh, really understanding for the first time that I wasn't white. And what a betrayal. It's strange betrayal. How did you figure out that you weren't white? I was watching The Brady Bunch, and I was really concerned because my hair would not form into curls like Cindy Brady's because I wanted to have pigtails that had perfect curls. Yeah. And my mom really trying to explain to her, no, they, because we don't have this kind of hair, no, no, they, even if you do perm, you cannot. And <laughs> like I was like, wait wait and then i would look in the mirror and be like i look don't i don't look like any of the people on tv yeah and i was so betrayed i betrayed by the television because i thought the television was full of reality and and mirth and and comedy and fun and laughter and and all of the joy that seemed to be um missing in the life that i had which is kind of a latchkey kid and you know kid of immigrants mm-hmm. who worked all the time mm-hmm. so i was really confronted with this truth of like i'm not that course and not seen so Mm -hmm. it's like you you need to be an artist and to be different in that way you have to really steal yourself for the experience Mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things where when you were saying what the tv offered you I feel like the tv also there was a way in which it was the right world to be in it was the aspirational world yeah and so when you realize that there's no there's nothing you can do Mm-hmm. To be part of that aspirational world, yeah, that's its own kind of heartbreak. And so you yeah. realized it at five. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly. It's funny when you said that. I was trying to figure out exactly what age I was. Probably around then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like you realize, and it, it, maybe it is kind of an advanced thought for somebody who's five. But we do see a lot and understand a lot much younger than. But it's also like it's not a fully. Do you know what I mean? You haven't thought the thought to the end. Mm-hmm. You just know, I can't be that. Yeah. Like, that's the first part of the thought, is yeah. I can't be that. And then the rest of you grows around that thought. Right. It's true. There was a commercial that I remember when I was really little, um, around five, six, there was uh, these Chinese people who were Chinese-American, I mean, Asian-Americans, and they it was um, a ring around the collar. It was, like, about a laundry 
detergent or something, mm-hmm. and there was like a ring, and there was an Asian woman who was trying to wash her, the collar of a shirt this is in the 70s? for her husband. Yeah, I know 70s. exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> weirdly, yeah, yeah, the ring around the collar. Yeah, yeah, and and it was just like, see, ring around the collar, and it was like they were Asian American, and they were treated as if they were just Asian American. It was this very revolutionary thing, like, oh my gosh, this is like. This is, I was like, is this really happening? Are these people really real? Yeah. Are they here? Yeah. And so I, they must be because you, you remember too. Yeah. And I used to have, um, I used to also just have a diary of like anytime I saw anybody that at that point I would have called Indian because I didn't even have the concept of South Asian. But whenever I saw anybody that I thought was Indian, I would write it down in a notebook. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Tampax commercial. Mm. 1999, Mm -hmm. Indian mother and daughter, you know, whatever it was, like I would write it down and I'd be like, there we are. Yeah. (laughs) Or yeah, like I saw Nancy Kwan in Flower Drum Song, Mm -hmm. which is also to me also very another unattainable ideal, too, because here was somebody that was just like impossibly beautiful. No way that you could ever sort of like even think about, you know, that existence for Mm -hmm. me. Like I could never even think about it. Now I think, yeah, like South Asian, to think about like who was out there. Merle Oberon, would that count? Merle Oberon? That's not bringing any bells for me, but I'm terrible with names. So if you showed me a face, I'd probably be like, oh, that person. uh, Merle Oberon was an actress in the 30s. And she, I think she she was biracial at least. Okay. With a South Asian background. I may be wrong. But other than her, I can't even, I can't even think. There's Ben Kingsley who was half. I mean, you know, who's kind of half. And then there, yeah, there were... I think a few others, like Freddie Mercury, who you would never know, was Parsi, right? right? Like, there were all these kind of low-lying, not necessarily Indian, but Parsi. Like, there were all these people that were just barely registering as some sort of ethnic. Yeah, yeah. Um, But you wouldn't have looked at them and said, that person's definitely Indian from India or South Asian from, you know, the subcontinent or anything. Yeah, or I I would say Keanu Reeves, who now, like, gets claimed by... Asian Americans mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. But forever we had no real understanding of like what does that mean? What is that um is that an Asian person? It must be, must be. Right. But it's like the foreignness of Asian identity really sort of held my dreams at bay in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, because then I, I couldn't even picture it. Nowadays I, I see it so much more. You know, nowadays we see more different faces on television and different faces in the media and their existence is is recognized and um yet you know it's like for the generation before you know it's hard to it's hard to put words to invisibility right because if if you are um if you never see yourself imagined Mm -hmm. outwardly by somebody else Mm -hmm. it's very hard to imagine yourself yeah and then you know for me too like i know that the people in my community really um, resisted allowing their kids to go into artistic fields of any kind because they just like valued doctors and lawyers and teachers, maybe teachers, maybe teachers. Wait, what were you, what was your pyramid? Doctors and lawyers? Ours was doctors and engineers. Oh yeah. So Mm -hmm. yeah, engineers would probably be in there. Doctors, maybe uh, it would be like doctors and um, physicists, anything scientific, Mm -hmm. anything that could be like justify going to school for a long time right right for sure so those kinds of things i mean what it is was they 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 just wanted them to be very prepared in school Mm -hmm. i think that was like a sure thing Mm -hmm. the school a sure thing i don't know i don't know i think you learn more from life than school i don't know 
I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where if you were to ask my parents, I'm sure they would have, you know, at some point they would have been, oh, no, it's definitely school. It's always school. Indians quote to each other all the time the kind of Gandhi quote, which is, you know, they can take away everything, but they can't take away your education. Right. Right. It was that constant idea of like, whatever else happens, you'll still be the smartest person in the uh-huh. room, yeah. if not the one that anyone actually wants to hang out with. You know, like there's, right. there was always that kind of um, weird tension growing up of, of this is what you do to succeed. My parents did not want me to be an artist. Actually, the joke with my mother was the the, the day before my um, my first book was, my first novel was published and mm-hmm. I had been working on it for 10 years. Mm. And I was headed to the, I was actually headed to a party to celebrate it with my mother. And in the car, I turned to her and I was like, so mom, by the way, you should know, I've decided to be a doctor. Just because it was like, <laughs> come on, like I finally got a book published. And she goes, yeah. without like missing me, she goes, oh my God, I knew it. I knew it. Oh my God, you'll be so good at it. Like she was oh. just so, I just saw the relief on her. And oh. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Mom. I was like, I'm not going to be a doctor. And she goes, oh. And I was like, Mom. And she goes, don't get so mad. Oh. <laughs> but it's, it's like, they've got to be so excited for you now. I think, um, I don't know if the, I don't know if excited is the word. I think my mom, what did she say? What I was like is sometimes my mom's compliments are really really spare. I get them one, like once a decade. Mm-hmm. So um, the I, made, I think two years ago she she told my husband she's so creative, Aww. and my husband told me, and I was like I'm just keeping that one forever. Aww. Like that's really lovely. She actually said it because I drew my own wallpaper on the dining room wall. But that's that. But I still I was like I'm gonna take that and just apply it to the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, in terms of writing, I think, you know, because because what I wrote was a memoir specifically and because it was about so many rough things in my experience, I think that wasn't – I don't know that it was necessarily easy for her. I don't know that she would celebrate that in particular, though mm-hmm. she's been com- she's been really supportive since it's been out. Yeah. But I think if, she, if you were to give her a, a choice, like a questionnaire where she could decide what her daughter – could be in the world, she would still be like, let's go with doctor first, mm-hmm. and then let's also go with doctor second, mm-hmm. and then maybe also doctor third. But if she has to do something just to eat, then let's let her be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> but is it kind of like, did they want us to be doctors because there's something about it that's impersonal? That there's something about it that is just like very much, um, like you can quantify what the value of that is, as opposed to something like a writer, which is so much about using your life to create a world, using your experience to create something that people personally connect to mm-hmm. in a very visceral, deep way. I feel like for me, it was just sort of a respectability thing. Mm-hmm. Like with my parents, I think it was just a signal of then the world will not be able to disrespect you if you mm-hmm. have this kind of, because a doctor obviously has authority. Right. Right. So it's sort of like you will never be disrespected if you get to this specific echelon of American society. And mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything in their mind that told them that there was a future for anybody with an artistic career. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything in my mind that told me that there was necessarily a future for anybody with an artistic career. Yeah. It was just the thing that I had to do. Yeah. And it's just some, something that you're born to do, yes. you know, and that you knew that you had to do and that you're just doing and it whether it's your career or not it wouldn't matter it's just like that's how that's how you live right you know and that's what a writer should be right you know I mean it shouldn't be a means to anything like that's what I think for my like comedy is that I would do it whether or not I was attaining any success at all it didn't really matter and mm-hmm. never really thought about it in those terms I always 
approached it like I've got to do this and perform this way and do this all the time and it's never going to matter where it goes, mm-hmm. which I think is the right attitude for it because it, it can be so heartbreaking if you're just trying to get rich. It's not a way to get rich, no, for sure. Not at all. So did they give you the book that um, that I most recently did? Did you see it? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. Um, so it's a graphic memoir. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it and I drew it. So it's, it's everything. both things, yeah. It's everything. It, and that's two different disciplines. It's like the, the writing and the drawing. Mm-hmm. Which do you think is more descriptive? Do you think it's just sort of all the same? You have to do it all together. Well, I wrote it in a specific way. So the reason that this book came about is mm-hmm. um, my son was really super into Michael Jackson. He was mm-hmm. like six years old. He got really into Michael Jackson. And he started imitating Michael Jackson all the time. And so my, my husband and I got him these, all the albums, right? You mm-hmm. get him the albums because you're like, okay, you're going to look at, look at all the albums. And then he was alone in a room with a bunch of albums. Mm-hmm. And he came out because my, my husband's white and Jewish mm-hmm. and I'm Indian and brown. And he came out of the room and he was basically like, what color is Michael Jackson? Mm-hmm. Like, is Michael Jackson brown or is he white? And I was like, well... The weird thing about Michael Jackson is that he's kind of brown. He was black, so his skin is brown, and he turned white. And he's like, he turned white? Mm. And I said, kind of. And he's like, are you going to turn white? And I was like, no, I'm not going to turn white. And he goes, is, is like, am I going to turn white? And I was like, you're definitely not going to turn white. And he's like, what about daddy? And I said, well, daddy's already white. And he goes, but was he always? Mm-hmm. And he went from that place of not understanding how col- how kind of color worked to seeing people in Ferguson, like, you know, kind of on the television, wondering what they were protesting about, seeing Trump rising, asking kind of increasingly hard questions like, um, are white people afraid of brown people? Mm-hmm. And then, is daddy afraid of us? Mm. So one day in total frustration, I actually just drew us onto, um, I drew us as like, um, kind of like paper dolls mm-hmm. on printer paper. And then I put us on top of it, cut us out and I put them on top of the albums. And then I drew the conversation, which is not actually the way I would normally do it. Normally mm-hmm. I would just write an essay. Yeah. But part of what's happened, as you know, mm-hmm. being a person that puts work into the world and mm-hmm. probably online a fair amount too, is that you get people who really have a lot of problems with any sort of reality that doesn't mirror their own. Yeah. So, yeah. I knew if I was going to do that, that they were going to kind of, you know, just come at me with a wall of hate and also come at my son with a wall of hate. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was I just drew our conversation and just kept moving us from album to album. Mm -hmm. And that's how the book really works. It's Mm -hmm. all the characters are kind of paper dolls. They're always outward facing. So it's always breaking the fourth wall. There's always a photograph in back of them. Their expressions never change. Mm -hmm. And I did that because I was so tired of kind of trying to explain race in America, yeah. especially to an audience that seems to be kind of hungry for it, right? but not actually able to take it in. right? So like, I'm sure you've had this experience, but yeah. when you tell somebody about something that happened in your life, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, have you ever had anything really bad happen? And you're like, yeah, here's yeah. something, right? Yeah. And you say, here's something, and then they immediately turn to you, and they're like, maybe you didn't understand it. <laughs> Maybe it was actually, yeah. maybe that person was actually trying to be really nice to you. Yeah. And you didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. And just, I think there are different levels to which people do that. Mm-hmm. So some of them are really vitriolic and some of them are like, you're lying. That isn't right. happening. Right. right. To kind of preserve their their white innocence. Yeah. And then there's a way in which like your best friend might sometimes say something like that to you and it's completely decimating. Right. And so when I kind of drew us without expressions and when I just wrote the dialogue, 
I kind of created this really nice loophole in my brain where I no longer felt exhausted mm-hmm. by trying to explain what was happening. Yeah. Like I could just talk about, I could just talk about the conversations that we had had mm-hmm. and what that actually looked like mm-hmm. and what that looked like specifically because as the book goes on, you find out that my, um, my husband's parents became avid Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. And so my son taking that in was rough. It's hard. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. I mean, that's there's so much discovery, too, of like thinking about all of the people in our lives and and kind of Trump coming into power and and getting to see that that the visibility of like this hatred that we perceive as hatred. They they probably perceive it as something else. It's like the weirdest thing, like to think about, you know, like Trump to me is just so terrible. And anybody who would support him is just so terrible. But there are people that I really love who do support him. And it's really shocking. Are there people in your own family that support him? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's terrifying. Yeah. What do you make of that? I just, I don't know. And it's always like, then you realize that there is um, something about it that for me, it's like, oh, there's this idea sometimes with immigrants who don't want any other immigrants around. And I've seen that before. Sometimes mm-hmm. when there's like an Asian person in a pers- an Asian American in, pl- in a place of power where there's only white people around them. Mm-hmm. And then they don't want any other Asian people around. So they, they want to be the special one. Mm-hmm. They want to be that sort of token one. And so that kind of weird token is it's almost like a generation before mine in a way. But that's what I recognize in the people that are Trump supporters who are in my family. It's very strange. What I often hear, too, from that kind of a person is, well, I did all the work to make it here. Yeah. As though as though whoever they're talking about hasn't also done that right. work. Right, right. Or they're, they're trying to come in and take what's ours, which is a kind of like, well, we've all done that, you know. Yeah. It's also aligning yourself with the power that has the authority to give or take away mm-hmm. rather than the person that's at the mercy of that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's. I feel like it's sort of a weird kind of Jedi mind trick where you're like, I'm not on that side of the equation. I'm on this side of the equation. Yeah. yeah. But to to what end? Yeah. And like, how do you think all those people out there, are they looking at you like you are also mm-hmm. on the side of the equation that gets to decide where America's wealth and where its prosperity goes? Because mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard to... Talk about race, I mean, in any circumstance, in any context, but now more than ever. So the way that um, Indians were kind of brought into America in 1965 after the immigration laws were kind of rewritten to allow us in Mm -hmm. South Asians specifically to build this kind of middle class that's really centered in in the doctor community and in the engineer community. So the way that I feel like this same dynamic plays out in the Indian community which is really rough, is they're sort of like, well, we came here and we made it. Yeah. So why can't they? And it's sort of like, well, you made it because the banks gave you a certain amount of money because the way the government brought you in was with the idea of weaving you into the fabric Mm -hmm. of this country. And yes, you worked hard, Mm -hmm. but everyone works hard. Yeah. There's ways in which you were allowed to become part of American society Mm -hmm. that a lot of other people weren't. And I think that for me is the scariest thing about this particular moment mm-hmm. is how many people don't seem to know that yeah, or find a place for it. Yeah. It is scary. I don't know. It's a cold kind of time. I mean, not just, it's not just Trump. I mean, it's everything. It's the environment. It's global warming. It's the way that just the, the earth is kind of just 
rotting underneath us and pulling away from us. Everything about it is, I don't know, it seems more apocalyptic now than than ever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very real thing. And I don't have kids, so that's got to be hard to think about, like, raising kids here. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely one of those things you're like, would we have done this if we had known? But, of course, we did know. I think every mm-hmm. generation knows to some extent. I mean, this all the stuff that people are talking about today was definitely still was absolutely raised with me, you know, from the time I was old enough to think and breathe. I remember people saying, mm-hmm. there's this environmental crisis coming. It's going to look like this. And now it's just the thing that they said was going to happen is happening it's at happening. a faster rate. Yeah. I do look at young people as being the solution here of like, they're the ones that are putting the brakes on it, you know, trying to say something, trying to do something about it. Yeah, I think that's true. I feel really desperately sad that we've put them in that position. It is sad. It is sad. But it's what a, what a remarkable thing that they're up for the challenge, mm-hmm. you know? Did you go to the um, the March last Friday? No, I was working, but I saw it. And yeah. it was so amazing. Yeah. It was so... I I, I really loved that little Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. She's so special. Yeah, and it, it was interesting. My husband and my son went because I was also working, and I just kept getting texts from them. And it was really interesting because I think... I think if you're of a certain generation that sort of watched watched everything, all the corporations kind of go on unchecked and all the different ways in which this is kind of manifest through the world now, there's mm-hmm. a there's a kind of hopelessness that you've attached to the situation. Mm-hmm. And my husband was there and he was talking specifically about the younger generation and the belief that, no, this can absolutely be turned around. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Get a hold of yourselves. Mm-hmm. And... What an amazing thing to have that sort of resilience in the face of what is happening, but also have that fuel and that anger and be able to locate it to turn it into something actually productive Mm -hmm. is definitely far beyond anything. In my generation, I think there were people that were doing that, but they were not the norm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that, you know, the percentage of people that are concerned in doing things in the younger generation is it's fascinating to me yeah that they've located their agency at such a young age i guess you yes. have to you have to you have to because they realize that the, the situation's that dire we failed that we failed they realize that we failed That's yeah what, yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. but at least they're there to catch us yeah well i wish i could go with you to seattle to watch you read your new work there where else on tour can people catch you I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff in New York in the next month, um, and then I'm actually going to Indonesia um, to the Ubud Festival, which I'm excited about. So can people find out about where you're going to be online and what's your... Yeah, um, so um, everyone can find me on Good Talk Thanks is my Instagram handle, Mm -hmm. and I usually post when I'm going to be making an appearance somewhere and new work that goes up, and then hopefully there will be a television show out, and then they can find me there too. Yes, that would be great. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, 
today we have a great conversation with Rain J. Phoenix. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, thanks for coming over. Thank you for having me. Is it hard? Do you feel, how do you feel about what's happening? Like, it's a hard time politically. So what I, I feel like it's a great time for artists to really talk about politics and mm-hmm. really talk about like, what's our game plan? Mm-hmm. Do you think that he's really going to be impeached? Do you think that we're going to actually get a good president? I don't, I wouldn't want to try to be expert about knowing any of that. What I do know is that all the amount of time that we put into sort of being avoiding our sh- our shared humanity is mm-hmm. is really creating a lot of the polarization i think yeah and that if we could come together and see like just the basic human principles that we all do carry regardless of what side we're on yeah that like that would make those decisions for it, it would if That'd we could amazing. come from that place you know of mm-hmm. shared humanity so that's something i really advocate for thinking about and in terms of what's coming up i don't have i really I mean, it's anybody's guess. It's, it's been a very difficult road where you'd think certain things would happen and they don't. So I'm trying to more important for me is to kind of try to think about our shared humanity and share about that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, with Launch Left, it's a music podcast, really. Mm-hmm. And yet it has the name Left in it. So inevitably we do talk about um the things that drive us in a world where there's so much pain mm-hmm. and suffering, what is it as artists that we can do or that we do champion yeah. to try and make some kind of change. So I think what's really um, positive about this time is that because there's just this sort of unbelievable lack of human principle and lack of ethos involved in some of the political leaders that we're we're seeing um it's showing us it's illuminating those qualities in all of us and Mm -hmm. it's waking them up and so that's like my greatest hope is uh is that somehow through this really intense and not so pleasant time like some of the best qualities our human qualities can emerge and we can actually like be the era we we were meant to be i love that i think that's really important to think about too like if we can look at this as almost it's positive because it's bringing out so much protest, it's bringing out so much real need for change. And, you know, would we, would we have had like all of these women's marches if he hadn't have been president? Would we have um, this sort of real like strike towards like climate change, like really reversing what we've done to the planet? I mean, I don't know. So yeah, there's there's good That's, things happening. Yeah. And you've always been I mean, I'm sorry to gush a bit about you, but from the sidelines of watching you throughout the years, and I'm, I'm I've gotten on in years, um, pushing 50 in the next couple. Uh, you are just a powerhouse to me as someone who like has always stood up when it was completely not popular to mm. do so and made some you know statement of mm. exactly that of like hey guys like mm-hmm. this is ridiculous yeah. you know and you 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 have always advocated for that kind of like outspoken feminine energy the power of like the goddess to me and so I just want to thank you like as somebody who like it's inspired me you know to be more courageous about talking about these things so yeah I really appreciate it thank you thank (laughs) you well it's important because it's like we need that like real like call to action sometimes you know we really do need something and there you know there are things that I, I think have really 
been great. Even the last couple of weeks, like I just saw the the big turnout for um, Bernie Sanders in New York. Like all of those people. I mean, you just as far as the I could see, it's like an incredible vote of confidence. Like maybe we will get through this. Maybe with him or I, I love Elizabeth Warren too. I mean, she's amazing. She's really, she's really something. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I, it, I'm almost like I actually don't even care as long as it's not Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> The, the thing that really, I guess, bugs me the most about the current political climate, and I spoke about it a little at first, was was like when it becomes so like one or the other side and mm-hmm. it becomes this just completely dualistic approach to politics and not what it is about the human spirit that we all value mm-hmm. and that who, who we are is really like in our core, who each of us are regardless of party line. It just makes me so sad that that it's instead being summed up as like crazy liberals or left yeah. of oh, versus, you know, right wing conservatives. Yeah. And just how that totally is a distraction from our truth, like right. who we are as human beings. And and that like at the core, regardless of how numb we've become and maybe how used to we, be, you know, we are to being cruel in mm-hmm. this society or in this culture or you know not valuing the very things that give us life like water and mm. land and food yeah. and you know all of it being just disposable right having mm-hmm. that outlook regardless of that in our real inner core there is this true being that absolutely honors all of that mm-hmm. and honors the the similarities and the connectivity in republicans if we're democrats and in democrats if we're republicans and yeah. that that being torn away is like through this pro- process seeing too much of that like megaphone repeat of just mm-hmm. like no it's just messed up liberals or it's yeah. just like too conservative republic all of that is like such a waste of time it is can we just get back to the truth a little bit right. and talk about that because i don't think anyone can keep their heart hard around the truth right but people have to speak it yeah. And they have to be public about it, mm-hmm. you know, and our po- our quote unquote politicians have to do that. And when they do, and I think the Bernie Sanders event is a good example. Mm-hmm. People show up. Yeah. Because we're all hungry for it. We mm-hmm. want the truth. Yes. You know what I mean? We want to be like reminded of our best qualities. And yeah. So like that to me is like really what this fights about is mm-hmm. like light and, you know, is like, let's all step into our truth. Like, yeah. So. Yeah. It's a tough one. It is a <laughs> to tough convince one. people. <laughs> I mean, I think part of the division, the way that it's kind of become left versus right, is that the way that our uh, news is filtered to us from the choices we've made before in social media. So when you have like you know your computer or your 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 smartphone or whatever, and you start making these choices of who you want to follow and who you're listening to or what news you're looking at, your uh, device will serve you up the same kind of stuff, and it won't lead you outside of the frame of vision that you already seem to have so we only get one view of the news that we've kind of like elected for because of the way that we look at media so it's hard to break out of your own thinking if you're only kind of looking at the news from that side right it's like an echo chamber of your opinion yeah you're just in this like feedback loop yeah 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 it's true and there's less stories like human stories about your opponents Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's something that like you know I think it would be really cool to see more of that mm-hmm. on um, 
quote unquote TV, I guess streaming streaming channels. <laughs> There's no TV really, right? No, but, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, on the streamers. Yeah. Or, but yeah, it's like if you can step outside of uh, what you already know or your own comfort zone of like the news that you want to see. I mean, I do try to make some choices outside of what I've done, like on, I guess, like Reddit or whatever. And immediately I get mad. <laughs> I right. get appalled. <laughs> no, I agree. That's very difficult. I think what I meant is that, and I just haven't had time this year, but... I, the, the idea of actually creating content and shows that brings people from opposite sides mm. into the same conversation. Yeah. And like, you know, the crowd can be a cause of actually voting based on their behavior together. Like it's like, like we're joined together on our shared humanity. Let's debate from that vantage. Like you have, you have parents and children that you don't want to die and mm-hmm. you want to have safe school. You do too. You have friends and family that you care about. You have enemies that you're like, think have totally wronged you. Guess what? So do I. We're on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Mm-hmm. We have all those things shared. Let's talk about like, what about our issues can join all that together. Mm-hmm. You know, like, wouldn't that yeah. be cool to see a show That'd like that? Cool. Cause I could watch that show. I wouldn't be so miffed. Yeah. That it would be so one-sided. Yeah. And I think that's like really what bothers me. And I'm sure you too. And it's like, yeah, I try to go, you know, really what I do, to be honest, is I just don't look at anything. Mm -hmm. And I just absorb through like my very close friends and people that I trust. They'll give me the rundown. Yeah. Like I see headlines and I, but really it's like, I just want to continue to advocate for something that's not happening yet and create a system, be a cause of helping to create systems that that exist that people can go to where they can get two sides and not feel miffed by it right mm-hmm. you know like what we're doing right now yeah not that we're necessarily on opposite sides no. whatsoever but we're no. willing to talk about yeah. that and that's like it's just reasonableness like right. true human stuff we're just trying missing. to understand yeah i mean there's some things that i have a really hard time with like whether it's gun rights where people are just adamant about having assault rifles they're adamant about keeping that right and i think with all of the school shootings and with people getting shot every day all the time like why do we have to have that that to me is something that i don't think i could change also i don't think i could change about abortion or people not having the choice women not having the choice to do what they want with their bodies and then when you look at the other side of that those people that want those things can't think of the other side right but you like a girl with a six shooter and chaps and True. a pregnant woman makes you feel warm and fuzzy like yes. for, right so like there's always some little bit of shared possi- potential there there's something and, shared yeah and i think in that respect i agree with you those two points are really a, a firm for yeah. me you know regardless of my personal feelings like mm-hmm. what i would do with my body i still believe that every woman has a right to choose right. for their own you know what right. i mean so uh that and with with the with assault rifles it's like yeah have your six shooter if you're someone who grew up i mean i shot guns before i you know i don't love doing that but i mm-hmm. did for movies or you know in life i lived in you know the south for mm-hmm. most of my life so yeah. i am cool with so much about it but i agree that when there is so many when there are so many facts Mm -hmm. you know in regard to gun violence and a woman's right to choose and how dangerous and how harmful taking away you know that right to choose Mm -hmm. and it just seems silly to not of course i i totally agree with you on that you know what i mean and (laughs) it's hard to imagine being like okay we'll just compromise and let that be Mm -hmm. you know but more that like what can we negotiate within this that's about not harming? Yeah. 
that's really yeah. it. It's like, yeah. why are we, why is there any argument when it comes to knowing that harm is at the other end of this? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. And maybe, yeah, we find a way through art or, I mean, through maybe with like rock and roll, which I think is, it's kind of healing, like to, to make music. And I think that that's always sort of been something that I've known, like kind of in and around your family, there's always been music, along with like acting and stuff that, that music is always at the heart of it. You know, when did you start playing or what do you play? When you start singing, when, when did it begin for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just I'll start with saying I really do believe that artists have always been on the front lines of change mm-hmm. and like art and activism are completely a married yeah, thing. Of course. And, um, you know, it, I think a lot of artists get a bad rap when they try to advocate for an or stand up and have an activism like, oh, just go play your music or go uh-huh. do your thing. Right. Yeah. So I I'm the opposite. And I'm really I'm, I'm all about encouraging artists to yeah. ignite that part. And that was my upbringing. I grew up playing music from mm-hmm. age three I started and it just was what I did so there was never really any like what do you want to be when you grow up I just it was obvious that I was going to keep singing because that's mm-hmm. what I did and then I started writing and so I've always done music um it is it was an important part of my family we would all play and sing together yeah. it was like we didn't watch tv we were like weirdo vegans yeah. you know at a time when there was no such thing as a weirdo mm-hmm. vegan even um and we played music and did art like our parents just encouraged us to be creative Mm -hmm. that whatever you know came whatever we decided we wanted to do they would they would support us Mm -hmm. but they were definitely fans of like not trying to just be academic or you know that Mm -hmm. if we want and they saw raw I think they saw our talent like that was our drive so they just were like encourage whatever was what came out you know what I mean which was really lucky yeah yeah and we forced them to be vegan too which I don't think most people know but we (laughs) made them vegan and they were like what oh okay oh so it came from you and not from them yes that's great yeah so but yeah that's that's what I've mostly done is music but I you know acting has always to me been like when it feels like a cool role maybe Mm -hmm. or and music was always just like what I was going to do but honestly over my my long life already and I don't have much time left so I'm trying to do the best with it that I can I've been interested in the idea of of how to connect people and connect artists with something bigger than just Mm -hmm. uh their fame or you know how to do things that give back and Mm -hmm. and help to create systems that create more community within the artist circles that I know and and also just the world like how do we talk more about like what really matters because to me consciousness and being aware and and having a practice and meditation practice has changed me more over the years to realize that like those are the tools that have actually saved me mm-hmm. like in dark times and and art is another tool that has yeah. saved me where yeah. I can write about it and get it out and I'm putting out a new record um, named after my brother mm-hmm. so that's something that I'm really excited about that's wonderful but um on Halloween it's coming out so that's amazing so that's what I'm on right now and mm-hmm. yeah I'm really excited to be doing music again I hadn't yeah. really done it for a, a, a while since 2016 or something mm-hmm. so just kind of jumped back in and couldn't help myself but make this record after releasing a single um, Mm -hmm. along with some of his music. Yeah, it's so so exciting. Yeah. Now, what is like the writing process for you like musically? Like do you write on your own or do you write with other people? How do you, how do you? 
create a song? It depends. There's a couple songs on this record I wrote on my lonesome and the rest I wrote with Kirk Kelly. Mm -hmm. One that came out yesterday I wrote with River and Kirk Kelly. I used some lyrics from one of our earlier songs from our band, which was really special. It's one of my favorites on the record. It's called Lost in Motion. But yeah, I love to get melody from other people like guitar, you know, like bring me a piece of music and if I'm inspired, I write to it. Sometimes I'm not and I can't and it just doesn't happen, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like whatever inspires melody and lyrics. It's yeah. kind of how how I write. Um, and sometimes I write from like, I have this thing that's really hurting and I don't know what to do. Oh, I'll pick up the guitar and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then that's that song, you know. Yeah. But mostly it's like a stream of consciousness style. Mm-hmm. I don't really spend a lot of time um, knowing what I'm going to write or crafting it about a subject. I just kind of let what happens happens. I usually record it as I'm creating the lyric. Like it's all happening at the same time. And mm-hmm. then I pick out things that mean something and add a couple words and mm-hmm. and if it feels like wow this is a song that I want to to be a real song in the world then I'll finish yeah. it out that way yeah so, so I kind of try not yeah I'm more like weirdly stream of consciousness I don't mm-hmm. do a lot of premeditated that's thinking. good though I mean it's because it's almost like you're just stepping into that river of like music and then you just go and you take it and yeah. then it's already, it's coming out. It's just yeah. like the flow. Out. You're right. It yeah. is. It's like, uh, I always think of it as like, all I am is just a conduit of information. Yeah. yeah. Like it gets beamed to me and that's I'm like, great. Uh, write it down. Okay. Yeah. That's great. I love that. That's what I like about it is like, I just kind of will uh, be the channel. Right. Which feels like the right relationship yeah. to the song. And I mean, for me, like if I write songs, usually what I'll, it'll be like a phrase or something will come and then I'll write that down and then the, the melody sort of like will build up around it. I can't, I can't really read music. I can kind of play piano a little bit so I know what the notes should look like. But when I'm doing it on guitar, I can't really do that. I just do it sort of by, by ear. Mm. I, I, I have to get back to it. Like there's something that I miss when I'm really actively in like a songwriting mode. Mm. I haven't done it for a couple of years because I was living with somebody here and it, there was something that was almost too intimate about getting out the guitar and playing with witnesses. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. You know, it is really, it's weird. It's, it is. It's hard. Yeah. yeah um, so, uh, to be honest, sometimes I'll get a piece of music and the person is not with uh, say like send me an idea mm-hmm. and then i'm alone with my microphone in my house and like and i just kind of let it happen there yeah and then if they like it and i like it that th- we keep working on it as a song yeah but by then like i've already like got because it is a really intimate experience to song right i think with someone mm-hmm. and you know i know there's like a whole different thing when it comes to writing pop songs which i've never yeah been interested in or done mm-hmm. although i you know admire people who can yeah. write a hit song and know yeah. you know the way that i do it is more like really private and very intimate and often just like yeah. you know i might even just thank you for your melody i'm gonna go see if i can make anything happen yeah. with it and and then like regroup mm-hmm. because i totally hear you that's yeah. a really scary it is scary but those i mean definitely like the music that i like is the kind that's more intimate it's like whatever that sort of like the style of like elliot smith or yeah. um 
Ray LaMontagne or yeah. Rachel Yamagata, somebody that is, it's very internal. Although I do have an appreciation for like the Swedes. It's always Swedish guys. <laughs> They're always <laughs> Swedish. They have really big diamond rings and like some kind of hat and they're very stylish and they're wearing like a thousand dollar sweater and they're they're looking over at you from their from the soundboard like do this do this do this i've actually i did a i did a song that was written by one of the swedes i don't remember who but it was with um desmond child was actually the producer on it it was so hard it was like a britney spears cast off song so she decided not to do it so it was one of those like things that like all of the pop artists like dip into the songwriting thing and they they pick but she didn't want to do it so it was like a song that didn't have anybody to sing so i did it and it was so hard like i couldn't get my voice because you also do have to do hundreds of takes of it i can't i i'll do it like three times yeah (laughs) you're like figure it out auto-tune that shit yeah i mean yeah yeah (laughs) exactly which they did they ended up auto-tuning it anyway right which it didn't even sound like my voice but it was so funny because it's like they demand perfection and then they auto-tune on top which is i mean to me, that's really a whole different art form, yeah. you know, which I was appreciative to be a part of that process, but I don't think I could sustain it. And also, it uh, it's a lot more work than you realize, you know. Mm-hmm. If I look at c- singers like Ariana Grande or even like Adele, it's a, it's a kind of recording that is so foreign to. I, I like the sort of indie lo-fi. I like a lo-fi right. situation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's yeah. good. Um, and you're wearing the cramps shirt. Oh, yes. I love punk rock and anything, yes. you know. I love the cramps too. I actually moved here because Lydia Lunch forced me to buy a house in this neighborhood because it's the same neighborhood where Lux and Poison Ivy lived. So they lived here for, I think I think Poison Ivy moved after Lux died. But uh, so this was at the beginning of the 90s, mid 90s, this was, this area was... All of the punks were living here. I love this hood. Yeah. I was literally, because you're close to the mountains, mm-hmm. somehow it feels more earthquake safe because there's less buildings yes. around and yeah, there's a I lot of space so. for each property. Yes. So I was already doing my little earthquake safe brainstorming. Are you scared? If of I can, are, are if you I scared? Can, well, no. I mean, my dad was like really afraid of earthquakes. So mm-hmm. I remember being woken up as a child if there was one we lived in the valley and he'd like wake oh. everyone up and go, get out to the yard. Yeah. You know? So there was a little bit of that. What is it called? Absorbed anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yes and no. I mean, my hope is that we'll all be in safe places when it does happen. But, mm. you know, in his opinion, it was something that's just like a shit show in L.A. Well, it is. You know, if it, it happens, there's no one's getting out. <laughs> no one's getting out, and it's really scary. And I've been in the the really big ones here. In like, there was a big one in like '93 or Northridge. 90, yeah. Northridge. I was in that one, and wow. then I was in the big one in '89 in San Francisco. Ooh. And um, wow, it was really it was terrible. But I was like such a stoner, like hippie kid. Like I just would like walk around Haight Street. There was no electricity. Everybody's freaking out. And we just got high and laid under a tree. Right. So That's cool. I imagine that would happen. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I could do that now because I don't smoke pot anymore, but something similar might happen. Here. What is amazing is, is the human spirit in those like emergency times. I was in New York when that big storm that like oh, knocked yeah. out all, I yeah. think that was in 2000. I don't, five, no, no, no. I guess it was already like 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Sandy, right? Yeah, was yeah. Was it Sandy? Yeah. And I was staying with my girlfriend in the Lower East Side, 
and all the electricity, you know, everything went out. The only place you could go charge your phone was like the 50s. You had to go all the way midtown. <gasps> wow. And like there were a couple bars that would stay open. But the whole Lower East Side was like candlelit. Some bars would open and people mm-hmm. would like eat and drink and hang out. And people were opening their homes to, you know, like, oh, mm. you can come over to my place. And, and it was like, wow, in New York City, even the sense of community that quickly yeah. sprung up during uh, something that was really terrifying when it happened and yeah. like, I was glad I was there so she wasn't alone but mm-hmm. I got basically you know stormed in I was supposed to leave and so I ended up being there for that chunk of time but it was really cool to see you know I think we're all so scared of this sort of idea that humanity just turns into monsters as soon as everything modern is taken from them right like right. that we're all just gonna loot and shoot and yeah and hurt each other and and like really I was like oh that's like a paranoid learned habitual thought that I have that's not doesn't seem totally true I'm, I know there are cases where that has happened in true yeah. obviously but predominantly not the, mm-hmm. it's always those that get covered by the news which is why we have this sense that that's going to happen right it's like oh god it's just going to be mayhem and, mm-hmm. but it really felt like people were caring for each other yeah that's I mean I think New York also because of 9-11 they almost had that then yeah. where I know that people really came together to, to help each other right you know during that and so maybe they were sort of they, that that sort of like shaped the destiny of what would happen in Sandy you know yeah which is That's nice true yeah it's really nice um well I I, wa- I want to hear your record and I want to see you guys play you played at bootleg which no uh zebulon zebulon yeah. is it uh, i want to see when when do we when are you going to do live shows soon i have a few dates with pete yorn in california wow. up, uh, from here to san francisco which That's i'm great. excited about yeah in december mm-hmm. and you know my record comes out next week and i imagine more, what's funny is i kind of played residency before the record came out just to kind of understand what it feels like to play these songs live yeah. and and to kind of gather energy for the release, to yeah, be honest, which yeah. it really did, was like to bring it to the world, mm-hmm. even shy of the record coming out, felt important for some reason for me. So I did it ass backwards like that. I don't mm-hmm. know that that's normally how you do it. Probably you put the record out and then play shows. Mm-hmm. But I did well, play I think shows, put the record out. I think it's all it all <laughs> makes sense, though, because it's like it is about harnessing that energy to push it out. It's almost like a birth. Well, you're giving a birth yeah. to it. So that's right. So you need to let that sort of Lamaze class exactly so that's, that's what right. it felt like it really was just a gathering of it but um, I'm really excited and hopeful that I'll be touring everywhere with yeah. this and helping either support other bigger artists which is makes a lot of sense to me just mm-hmm. to go on initially to support it's it's just a duo right now with um, the producer and guitarist uh, and I mm-hmm. doing like bunch of weird cool sounds drum machines like it won't just be like an acoustic thing but yeah but we're we're gonna make it a small pod for touring and that's what we're working on now um so because we had a full band here Mm -hmm. and that's great but you just it's not it's not viable in terms of it's surviving and making money you can't pay for all that band is it's you know to me like i would always in my mind like my dream is to have the full r&b horn section oh, yeah. and strings yeah and it's too hard yeah. it's too many people I, but it's amazing. so fun to play with everybody yeah i want to see you sing yes i will I, I will come to your show and then you must come to my show i music is a very special 
beautiful thing that I get to do with friends and, and is so fun. So I, I would love to see you and play with you. Yeah, maybe we'll even get to sing sometime together. I would love that. That would be so fun. That would be great. Well, where can people find your podcast and your, uh, your comings and goings and your live shows and everything? Oh, thank you. Well, uh, they can find the podcast anywhere they would normally go looking for podcasts. Mm -hmm. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're all, all of those outlets, I'm yes. sure, wherever it is. I think it's it's wide. And uh, same for my record, actually. Yeah. Also on all the digital platforms, you can go to rainjphoenix.com to order vinyl, CDs, T-shirts. There's a merch store. Forget my live touring dates. You know, mm -hmm. all, the, all the information on the record and me live there um and on spotify a little bit too the mm -hmm. bio and all of that so That's yeah great. i think and launch left please find us at launch left on instagram and twitter and i'm at rain j phoenix on instagram and twitter wonderful thank you so much thank and i'll you. see you on launch left yeah thank you never miss an episode of the margaret show subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you listen Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.